Well, good morning, Great Oaks. How are you? Good. More lively than first service. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Chris Genders. I work full-time for Youth for Christ, which is one of the kingdom builders that uh, our church supports. Um, I also get the privilege of calling this church my home church, and so it is a joy to be up here guest preaching uh, this morning. Um, we've been doing this series called Games We Play, and all the pastors you saw shared uh, different uh, games and themes that came out of that. And, uh, you know, I'm not on staff, and so when I, they were doing this creative planning meeting to figure out the sermon series, uh, my soon-to-be daughter-in-law, Lexi, is in the back of the room over here. So hi, hi Lexi. Uh, weddings in seven weeks. Seven weeks. That's crazy. Um, so they're in that meeting, and they're talking about this Sunday that I'm going to preach, her future father-in-law, and they say, Lexi, what, what topic do you think, you know, Chris should preach on? And she's like, how about anger? <laughs> and I'm sure she didn't say it like that. I'm sure she didn't say it like that. But I'm like, that is not a good optic, Lexi, to have like, you know, hey, dad, go talk about anger because you got issues, Right. She knew that I had actually recently taught on anger at Youth for Christ to our students, and uh, we had actually used Angry Birds as the theme for that, and so that's why we chose it today. Um, and she also knew stories from my childhood, and about seven years ago. So, hi, Emily Grantham. That just threw me off. Hello. Sorry. I have, yeah, anyway, that's a whole other time. Um, hi. I am so sorry. She doesn't live here anymore. She used to be here all the time, and suddenly she's here, and it's throwing me off. My bad. Um, warn me next time, please. Some say hi before the service. Um, but this is, this is something that I have dealt with um, a lot when I was a kid, middle school especially, a little bit of high school. And then um, about seven years ago, I went through just a really rough time, and, and I'll share stories from all of that, but I, I didn't feel like we could do a sermon built on Angry Birds without showing a clip from the movie. If you know the game, it's a, a game on our phones, and um, it was you know, all the rage a while back, and um, these pigs steal these birds' eggs, and the birds are trying to get them back there angry and they want their eggs back and so they're launching themselves to at these structures and you're trying to knock the structures down to get the eggs back that's the premise of the game and somehow they parlayed it into a movie and I didn't feel like we could move on without seeing a scene from that movie so here's Angry Birds oh goodness the problem is I see too much of myself in some of those so I uh I grew up in uh, the 80s, Gen X, latchkey, um, dad was on the road Monday through Friday, mom was working three jobs to make ends meet, um, my older brother, older sister, me and my younger sister were left unsupervised most of my childhood. Um, I had all of these emotions because of that. We, we, we were poor, um, I didn't know where I fit in in the world, I wasn't athletic, I wasn't cool, any of those things. Um, obviously that's all changed. Um, but. Um, <laughs> I wasn't any of those things in middle school, and I didn't have, my dad wasn't with me Monday through Friday to help me process all of these emotions, and so I, I didn't know what to do with them. It was confusing, it was overwhelming, and so it was um, let out, oftentimes in explosions, and um, temper was just a, a fact of life for me. Um, I, I had so many holes in our, my bedroom from punching and kicking the walls. I got smart and started marking the studs so I knew where not to punch. Um, and you can only put up so many posters in your bedroom before your parents start asking, like, why do you have posters, like, down here on the floor? Like, well, kicked a hole in the wall, and I didn't know how to patch drywall. Um, so posters were the answer. Um, 
my, my family knew that I had a temper. Um, they had these broomsticks. We had a factory in our town that made brooms. Um, fascinating, right? But uh, you need a broom. And the, some of the broom handles were warped. And so they would give away bundles of 50 warped broomsticks. And my mom discovered this, and she's like, this could be a good outlet for Chris. And so we had them in the garage, and whenever I got really angry, she said, go out and bust a whole bunch of broomsticks over a tree. And so I'd go out and bust, you know, 10, 15, 20, 50 over a tree and let all my energy out. Um, Sometimes when I didn't take those measures, I took it out on my siblings, and uh, particularly my younger sister. So my older sister, when she got in the fight, I had to pause and think, is this worth it? She can go toe-to-toe with me. Um, They had permission don't call DCFS, it's well in the past. Um, They had permission to tie me up if I got out of control. And they did. But it took all three of them to do it. So I'm just saying. But they once tied me to a tree for a couple hours um, because I was so out of control. And they were so scared of what I was going to do to my little sister. And they didn't know what to do with it. So my parents, um, thankfully, got me into some counseling and started helping process some of these things. And high school, it kind of dissipated and and moving into adulthood. And part of that, I'm sure, was just normal adolescent development, maturity, growing. And and I met Jesus in college. And, and of course, that was this radical transformation that, that really helped me in this area quite a bit. So it wasn't really an issue anymore in young adulthood. And and Karen and I got married, and um, I saw my parents get divorced because what I thought was fighting was the reason they got divorced. And so I never fought with Karen early in marriage, um, I, but I would hold on all of these emotions, and then all of a sudden, like, they would explode out, and, you know, I'd have to apologize for days. And so my wife had to teach me how to fight early in marriage, and she's like, you know, you need to tell me when things are bothering you. So I started, and then she's like, okay, don't tell me everything that bothers you. <laughs> like, that's a little much. Let's find that middle ground. But our, our marriage, by and large, was, was pretty fight-free. I mean, we had conflict, but never, like, explosion temper issues like it did when I was in middle school. And then we had kids. If you're not a parent in the room, you don't realize that this little bundle of joy is also your greatest frustration. And particularly when you have a child who's the same personality as you. Um, and when you, you both have to have your opinions shared and you both have to be right, and you both have to have the last word, it becomes an issue in your home. And I'd love to say that there's no moments in my parenting where my anger didn't come out. I'd love to say that, but it'd be a lie. I'd love to say that there's no moments that I I wish I could have back, but that would be a lie. Uh, There's too many moments that I remember where my youth pastor voice came out to overpower my children where at a dinner table, um, it was getting frustrating, and I slapped my hand on the table loudly to get them to stop fighting and to, to listen. And, and, and I realized that that wasn't good, and so, you know, began to grow in that area, and, and it wasn't horrible, but there were moments that I want back in my parenting, and I'm, I feel like I'm probably not alone in this room. Now, there were moments where I would get mad at work, and, you know, I worked for a church, um, and so we're all about Jesus, we're all about love and grace and mercy, but there are some times where I got really angry and really frustrated, but I didn't like, let my coworkers know that. I can't do that. So who do I let know? My family. I would misplace my anger that I was mad at things at work, and I would take it out on my family because they were safe to take it out on. But about seven years ago, I found myself in kind of reminiscent of the middle school years, 
Um, I wasn't acting out. I wasn't breaking broomsticks or punching holes in the walls or anything like that. Um, but I, I was angry all the time. And I remember a, a good friend noticed something was going on. And so he invited me to lunch. And he's like, Chris, I don't know what's going on, but like, we need to talk. Like, something's not right with you. And I confessed to him, like, I'm, I'm like the Hulk. Remember that scene in Avengers, the first one, where Bruce Banner shows up late to the fight? And there's that giant flying monster thing coming at him, and, and you know, he turns to like, go fight it, but he's still Bruce Banner, still the human being, not the Hulk. And Cap's like, hey, Bruce, like, now might be a really good time you know, for the other guy to show up. And Bruce says, that's my secret, Cap. I'm always angry. And he instantly turns into the Hulk and destroys the thing. That was me. Like, I, angry all the time. To the point where I'm like, I need to talk to somebody professionally about this. And so I found a, a local therapist who specializes in anger management, PTSD for pastors and military personnel. That doesn't tell you reality of pastoral work, like, wow. And so I went to him and I, I just, I shared everything that's going on and, and I didn't know, like middle school again, I had all these emotions and I didn't know what to do with them. And, and we talked, and he said, I want you to read this book, and, and it was called Letting Go of Anger, um, the 10 most common, notice it says 11, uh, there's been an updated version, they discovered a new one, evidently. Um, but when he put this book in my hands, the, the 10 most common, I thought there was one thing of anger, I thought it was one type of anger, it's just anger, right? I didn't realize there was nuance to anger. And, and so I began to, to go into the book, and there was a, an assessment at the beginning of the book, three questions for each style of anger, and if you answered yes to all three, read that chapter, like you've you got issues with that style of anger. If you answer two, I encourage you to still read the chapter. One yes, probably not, zero yeses, no. So I had a few from each category, right? So there were some chapters I never read, other chapters I devoured. And the other thing he said is, I want you to, to get a journal, and I want you to write down every time you get angry. And I want you to write down what happened, how you responded, how you should have responded, and what type of anger from this book that you experienced. So just personal recommendation, if you're going to get an anger journal, may as well make it red, right? I mean, <laughs> so I got a red journal and I rubber banded to this book. I wrote in it twice. And it was such a powerful tool for me. It may not be for you, but for me it was. It was so convicting that I had to write in there twice. The first time was my daughter was in middle school learning math. She thought she was right. I knew I was right, right? And this wasn't like, you know, Gen X math to Common Core math. It was just like she didn't know what she was doing, and I knew I was right, but we're both hard-headed and stubborn and have to have the last words. We both have to be right. And I overpowered her. I just, I, I exploded. And I, Another one about a week later, uh, my son's learning to drive. He's 15. Karen's in the passenger seat. I'm in the back seat. We're on a side road here in town, not 116, thankfully, because he was driving down the wrong side of the road. I'm like, you're on the left side of the road. And so I'm in the back seat, and I was like, hey, Ethan, you're on the wrong side of the road. You need to move over to the right. And he's like, it's fine. There's nobody coming. And I'm like, this is not how driving works. Like, it doesn't matter if there's nobody coming. You get on the right side of the road. Well, 
I was getting a little frustrated, and then my wife, who I love deeply, spoke up and goes, Chris, it's fine. There's nobody coming. And I'm like, I know where he gets it from. I'm like, oh my goodness, seriously. And so I get angry. And, and, and we get to our destination, and I get out, and I slam the car door as hard as I could. You know what I realized writing in the journal those two times? Explosive anger was one of the types. And it was the one that everybody saw, my family. It's one that my family saw. But it wasn't the trigger. The trigger was righteous anger. Here's the three questions for righteous anger in the book. Do you get angry when people disagree with your beliefs? No, not at all. Do you get angry when somebody disagrees with your opinion? No, not at all. Third question, do you think you're always right? Yes. And what I realized was while explosive was the most obvious and visible, it was righteous anger that triggered everything. And I discovered in writing in the journal and in prayer and reflection and and conviction by the Holy Spirit that my need to be right and my need to be respected were the triggers for my anger. And so the Holy Spirit began to do a work in me to say, you don't always have to be right. And you're not always going to be respected. And that's okay. I mean, I, I've, I've done my best to sacrifice those on the cross of Christ. Now, that's not to say I'm perfect. There's still moments where it rises back up, where I need to be right and I, I need to be respected. But I've learned how to begin to suppress those things. You know, I don't know if you, you've ever thought about this, but anger is a God-given emotion. Like, it's a gift from God. And you're like, but you're telling me not to get angry. We'll get there. There's a lot of Bible verses about anger. Just a few that are probably pretty common that you may have heard already. James 1.19. Brothers, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. I once sat in a church meeting in my church in Chicagoland where they were making some changes and it was going to affect us financially and I was very frustrated by that and I sat with the Bible open on my lap to James 119 and they're talking about the changes I'm like okay and they keep talking this is a verse I memorized early on Ephesians 4 26 in your anger do not sin if you stop and think about that verse it's it's interesting because it seems to imply there is a way to be angry and not sin. We'll get to that. Proverbs 29, 11, reading through the Bible this year, came across this in the Good News translation, which I'd never read before, um, but it stuck out to me. Stupid people express their anger openly, but sensible people are patient and hold it back, and I was been far too stupid at various times in my life. But, but as I'm preparing this, and those are just a few of the verses, you know, I had to be, I, I, I had to practice some intellectual integrity, because I'm like, okay, hold on. There's some questions I have. Maybe some of you have this question already. Doesn't God get really angry at times? Like, read Genesis to Revelation. There's moments where God's anger and wrath is just being poured out. And it's like, what do we do with that? Here's an example. Nahum 1, uh, verse 2 and 6. The Lord is a jealous God, filled with vengeance and rage. He takes revenge on all who oppose him and continues to rage against his enemies. Who can stand before his fierce anger? Who can survive his burning fury? His rage blazes forth like fire, and the mountains crumble to dust in his presence. Sounds like God's getting pretty angry 
in this moment. If you just do a survey of, of Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, you know, God kicks Adam and Eve out of the garden. They've sinned. You'd think, mercy, compassion, love. No, I'm going to kick you out. God wipes out the entire world and starts over with Noah and his family. God destroys whole cities with fire from heaven, the, the plagues on the, on the nation of Egypt, and culminating in the death of, of all the firstborn sons of everybody except for the Jews. And the nation of Israel is, is called to military conflict bordering on genocide, possibly is genocide. We did a sermon series earlier this year where we asked some, some, submitted some questions to our staff or to our pastors, and they answered them. One of the questions that we wrestled through was, it seems like the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are two very different gods. The God of the Old Testament is anger and wrath and judgment. The God of the New Testament is, you know, love and mercy and compassion and puppy dogs and kittens and rainbows, right? Like, how do we, but we, we, theologically we say they're the same God. Like, how? Well, you encounter other verses in the Old Testament like Exodus 34, 6. It says, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. And I find myself in this tension. I'm not sure I understand God. Or, or maybe I don't understand anger. Probably both. You know, if only there was some place we could go to see how God kind of handles anger in a different way. If only, if only there was somebody who would model for us what it means to, to live out righteous anger. Oh, right, this guy. I forgot about him. Jesus, right? Jesus is God. And if we want to understand God, we can look to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1 says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. If we want to understand God... Even the God of the Old Testament who seemed to punish people and wrath and all this stuff, then we have to look at Jesus because they're the same person. And then when we do that, we're going to discover some things that I probably don't understand God and I probably don't understand anger. But we're called to imitate Jesus, to surrender more and more of our lives to God and become more and more like Jesus. And so how do we do that? Well, we need to look at what Jesus did. How did he handle anger? How did he interact with this God-given emotion? And so I, I grabbed the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first four books of the New Testament, and I was like, they're eyewitness accounts of Jesus. How did Jesus encounter and handle anger? And I asked myself these questions. Um, where did Jesus get angry that I probably wouldn't have? And where did he not get angry that I totally would have? And here's what I discovered. Jesus never got angry about the things that I get angry about. And he got really angry at things that never anger me. Here's some times when Jesus didn't get angry, but I probably would have. When he was tempted by Satan, confronted by Satan. And his response is just scripture, but doesn't the Bible say? Doesn't the Bible say? Doesn't the Bible say? Satan, go away, right? He doesn't respond in anger. When his first cousin, John the Baptist, is arrested and murdered, I can't even fathom it. And Jesus doesn't get angry. He's sad, but he's not angry. When relentless crowds are demanding his time and his energy, when, when he's woken up from naps, don't wake up my wife or my mother from naps, right? It's just not good. Don't do it. 
Uh, when I was a kid, and, my, and one of us had to wake up mom because, you know, probably the house was burning down because uh, we were unattended, and she was napping. And one of us would, like, short straw, draw in. You would crawl in on the floor and reach up above the bed to, like, shake her because she was swinging. Like, even in her sleep, she was swinging. Like, but Jesus got woken up from naps multiple times, and he never got angry about it. I, I don't understand that. Yeah, he was confronted by demons, his teaching, his authority were constantly challenged. His travel plans were disrupted. He got flat tires and the engine broke down. And it's just like, whatever. All right, it's what, what happens. We're going to deal with it. We'll move on. My world goes crazy when that happens, right? I'm, I'm not well in those moments. He's mocked by religious leaders and crowds. The Pharisees plotted his murder. He didn't get angry. Family doubted him and, and called him crazy. His hometown discredited him. He was manipulated by teachers of the law. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends. And yet he washed his feet instead of getting angry. Who does that? Have you been betrayed by a friend? I have. I didn't wash their feet. That wasn't the first thing that went through my head. He was falsely arrested physically assaulted. He was lied about in public court. He was abandoned by most of his closest friends. He was tortured. He was crucified. He could have called down legions of angels to wipe out those who were crucifying him. And he didn't. He said, Father, forgive them. Who? I don't understand Jesus. And then there's these moments where he gets angry. There's this one moment, and he's coming into Jerusalem for the Passover, which is a moment in, that they, every year they celebrate remembering what, Jesus, what God did to bring them out of Egypt and how they pass over and their firstborn kids didn't die. And so they're coming into the Passover. We read this in John chapter 2. Uh, Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and in the temple complex, he, he found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves. He also found the money changers sitting there. And after making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple complex uh, with their sheep and their oxen. He also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. And he told those who were selling doves, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And his disciples watched all this, and, and they remembered that it's written in the Old Testament, zeal for your house will consume me. You know, we read that, and oftentimes we don't read it with emotion. We're like, yeah, this is what Jesus did. He cracked a whip, he flipped tables. No, hold on a second. Put yourself there. Jesus comes in, and he sees what's happening. And his blood starts to boil. I don't know if you've ever made a whip, I never have, but I've made rope. You know, I've, I've braided my daughter's hair. It's not something, he didn't just grab a whip that was sitting over there, right? He didn't just find a whip that was conveniently available. He, it, scripture says that he sat and braided a whip. So he's sitting there with three leather cords. Mm-mm, nope, not today, not in my house, no! And he gets up and he cracks the whip over their heads and he's flipping tables over. Don't sanitize the scripture. Jesus is really, really angry in this moment. And yet, he does not sin. I, I've never cracked a whip over somebody's head. 
I've thrown the table. Um, but I'm pretty sure I'd be sinning when I did those things. And yet our theology tells us that Jesus didn't sin in this moment. So I don't understand anger, evidently. The Pharisees, Matthew 23, Jesus has some really harsh words for the religious leaders of the day. And it's not like they were in another town or another place. Like they were together and he's looking them in the eye and he's calling them hypocrites. 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 Over and over and over he says it. You, you blind guides. You think you're so smart, but you have no idea. You're whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. You are a brood of vipers. Read emotion into this scripture. I don't know for sure that this is a moment when Jesus got angry, but I, I think the Pharisees felt like he was angry with them. And then there was one that I encountered that kind of surprised me. It was the death of his best friend, Lazarus. Jesus and his disciples are in another town, and they get word that Lazarus has passed away. Jesus is really good friends with Lazarus and Mary and Martha, a brother and two sisters. And he gets word that Lazarus has passed away, and, and oddly, he doesn't get up and run to the town to attend the funeral. He just kind of stays where he is for a couple days. The disciples are really confused by it, and finally he's like, okay, it's time to go. So they go, and Martha runs out into, you know, outside of town, hears that he's coming, runs out and, and meets him and says, you know, Jesus, had you been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus is like, it's, it's going to be fine. He's going to rise again. And Martha, she's got good theology. She's like, oh, I know. I, I know he's going to rise again in the, in the end, like the resurrection of the dead. He's going to rise, yeah. And Jesus is like, Martha, I got this. And we pick up here in John 11. And Mary heard this. She got up quickly and, and went out to him. And Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. So they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her crying, and he saw the Jews who had come with her crying, the version I was reading that day said he was angry in his spirit and deeply moved. Why was he angry? Some commentaries say it's because the mourners that were there were not actually true mourners. They didn't know Lazarus. They didn't know Mary and Martha. They were false mourners, which wasn't uncommon in that culture. And we see that still in some cultures even today. You hire mourners to add to uh, the, the experience of grief. And in some commentaries say that's what he got angry about. It's, it, it's like having a family member, a close friend who passes away and people are coming and they're all crying and sad. And you're like, you don't even know this person. You didn't know them. Why are you here? Like we would get angry in that moment. But some commentaries say that in this moment, Jesus looks at death knowing that it wasn't necessary. Knowing that it wasn't how God originally designed the world. I mean, Jesus, Scripture says Jesus was the one who spoke the creation into existence, spoke life into existence. He knows that death was not part of that equation. The sin, cancer, abuse, neglect, homelessness, trafficking, all of these things, these weren't in the plan for God. 
And yet sin entered the world, and as a result, Jesus' best friend, Lazarus, dies. And in this moment, Jesus is really angry at sin and really angry at the condition of the world. And he's deeply moved. You know what Jesus didn't get angry about? All the things that we get angry about. Being delayed in traffic, the slow internet, slow growth of our investments, slow line at the checkout counter. Can you pick up a theme for me of what gets me going? Anything that slows me down? He didn't get angry at having a child who doesn't listen. He didn't get angry at not getting the promotion or the raise or not being treated with respect. Jesus, Jesus never got angry at a middle school girl who didn't know how to do math or a teenage boy who didn't know how to drive. Those things didn't bother Jesus. You know what he did get angry about? People who made it difficult for others to come to God. We did a whole sermon series where Jason just drove into us, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. When we add anything onto Jesus, any other expectation, qualification, requirement for salvation other than Jesus, I think Jesus gets angry. And we do it all the time. We have these expectations of Jesus plus something. And Jesus, like, flipping tables and cracking whips in these moments. Don't make it hard for people to come to me. I'll handle the transformation after they come to me. That's my job, not your job. Don't make it difficult for people to come to me. And and he gets angry when he looks at the world and he says, this isn't the way it was supposed to be. Sickness, sin, death, abuse, all of that unjust treatment of people made in his image and not unjust treatment of Christians, unjust treatment of human beings. doesn't matter whether they believed in him or not. doesn't matter whether they're Christian or not. doesn't matter who they are, their, their color, their creed, their socioeconomic status. When, when human beings treat other humans as unhuman, Jesus gets really, really angry. And that should be a word of caution for us today. So what do we do with all this? Well, I think we have to begin to understand the difference and discern the difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger. Righteous anger is anger that God would say, yeah, you should be angry about that. I would be angry about that too. Unrighteous anger is when God looks and goes, really? You're getting frustrated by slow internet? Like you're yelling at your wife and kids because they're driving on the wrong side of the road? Seriously, Chris? Like what? Why is that a big deal? Uh, Begin to discern between righteous and unrighteous anger. Recognize misplaced anger. I've been in fights with my wife, not anger, like escalating, but just like we're disagreeing, we're arguing. And I, I say to her, I'm like, I know I'm wrong and I'm not mad at you, but I can't take it out on anybody else. And I just, I'm like smiling in that moment of realization. But like realize when you have misplaced anger and, and admit it. It diffuses the situation a little bit. <laughs> There's a phrase we learned in men's fraternity here at church years ago. It's called die to self. You want to get anger under control? You want to get any area of your life aligned with Jesus? Die to self. 
See, most of the time when we're angry, it's selfish anger. It's I didn't get, I didn't get, my, my, me, me, whatever. It's not I'm angry at this situation over here that God would be angry about. It's I'm inconvenienced, I'm annoyed, I'm frustrated, I'm impatient, I'm angry, I'm hungry, feed me, right? Like those are the moments we get angry. And then Jesus calls us, he says, if you want to live for me, then you've got to do what I did and die to self. Sacrifice yourself. That's why the scripture says, pick up the cross daily and carry it forward. If you're struggling today with anger, I would challenge you to look at these things and figure out how can I die to self more. I think another thing we need to do is create margin in our lives. Physical margin, emotional, relational, spiritual, financial. You know, I, I, I love coffee. Um, you know, I, I love the flavor of it, the taste of it. Um, I drink way too much every day. Um, but let's say for a moment that I came to church here this morning and, and I've got my mug and, and I, I go out there and the flavored coffee, I don't even know what we're brewing today, but it's amazing, I love it. Um, and, and I want like every ounce of this cup I want to f- savor that flavor, right? So I, I fill my cup all the way to the brim, like no room to go over. But I'm walking through a crowded lobby. Not a smart idea, right? And, and I bump into you, and, and hot coffee spills out onto you. Why did the coffee spill? Not because I bumped into you. Because I didn't leave margin in my coffee cup. I didn't, I didn't leave space here for water, for coffee to move around when I get bumped. That's margin. When you have physical margin in your life, emotional margin, relational, spiritual, financial margin, then when you get bumped, and you will, because we all get bumped, something goes wrong, something breaks, something annoys us, something is impatient, something is going to happen to us. And if you've got margin, you've got room to be bumped and not spill hot coffee all over the situation. And in this case, not to let your anger pour out of the coffee cup. It's what I learned seven years ago when I started taking care of my own soul so that I could take care of others' souls. Create margin, whatever that looks like. And it's going to look different for everybody. But figure out how to create margin in your life. If you're struggling with anger, this one thing might be the fix. Take a day off. Create a budget. Take care of your health. Spend time with your family and loved ones. Go for a bike ride, lift, read a book, movie, whatever it is that fills your soul. When you do that, it creates more and more margin so that when you get bumped, and you will, anger doesn't explode out of you. Lastly, final point, and it's paradoxical. I'm teaching today on anger, and I'm telling you not to get angry. But now I'm going to tell you to get angry. Because I think we need to start getting angry about the things that make God angry. I I think far too many of us, myself included, uh, we, we walk past moments and people and situations that should anger us because it's not the way God designed the world. It's not the way this is supposed to be for this person or this moment or this place or whatever. But we're so busy, we're so occupied with self that we're like, I, I can't deal with that. Like somebody else will deal with that. It'll, it'll get fine. And God's like, why does that not make you mad? That should make you stop in your tracks and get angry. And so yes, I'm telling you not to get angry, but I'm telling you not to get angry for selfish reasons, for stupid reasons. 
get angry about the things that make God angry. But here's the difficulty. It's really hard to know. Because sometimes we think we're warriors for God and for Christianity, and we're not. It's selfish. If we really step back from the moment, it's pure selfishness. It's because I want this. I think this should be how it is. I, 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 I. We haven't really taken the time to go, God, what do you think about this? And what do you want me to do about this? So even as I say get angry about things that make God angry, it comes with a word of caution. Because sometimes we're wrong. And we're just angry Christians. So here's the challenge. Die to self. Lose the selfish anger. Embrace God-directed, Holy Spirit-inspired, righteous anger. And if you're here today, and this is, this is something that you struggle with, like I have through my lifetime, we would love to talk to you. We have people that are going to be praying with people after the service. We've got a staff that would love to talk to you. I would be willing to talk to you as well. Let us walk beside you on this journey, like my good friend did who came beside me. And he said, Chris, I'm noticing something, and I just, I don't know what it is, but I want to help you. Let us do that for you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the gift of anger. I know that sounds weird to say, but it's, a, it's an emotion that you gave us. Thank you for, for anger and for love, for jealousy, for compassion, for sadness and happiness. Just the full gamut of emotions, Father, they are a gift from you. And yet you want us to sacrifice them to you to be holy, to be more like Jesus. So Lord, help us to look to him, to study his life, to, to learn more about every one of these God-given emotions and how you want us to navigate them. Father, thank you that you, you don't leave us alone in this world. You've, you've given us your word, you've given us your spirit, you've given us Jesus. Father, all to point us back to you, to be in relationship with you. And so, Father, I thank you for that. This morning, I pray that your spirit has done work in each of our lives. And Lord, that we're gonna leave here changed because we've been in your presence. Give us boldness to carry the message of, of love and grace and compassion in Jesus to the world outside the walls of this building because they need to know how much you love them. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.